to episode 44 of the Stomp the Bus Show. I am your host, Mark Harris, along with our beautiful co-host, Colton Dodgson, freshly tanned from a Hawaii uh, honeymoon trip. And our special guest for today's show, Arizona Varsity publisher, uh, dictator, Ralph Amston. How, uh, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. Dictator. That's, that's awesome. I love it. I'm going to wear it with pride. Yeah. Um, what an introduction, Mark. That was incredible. You know, the whole time I was in Hawaii, though, I was I was only thinking about getting back and, and doing this show with you. So you you just saw ASU's recruiting success in the month of June. You just had to had to yeah, talk about that. I felt the itch to get back. So we actually cut the trip short um, <laughs> so I could get back. I wonder what it's like to be a college football fan in Hawaii, live there full time and have like games be over at eight. Yeah. yeah, it the time difference is kind of is kind of wild there, and it's you know like just being there in baseball games starting at like two. It's 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 got to be a trip for sure living in that time zone. <laughs> well, yeah, because you were there, you were there for the finals, right? And oh, so the games right. yeah, tipping like, off at like two thirty. Yeah, that was that was crazy too. I forgot we were there for those last couple of games, but yeah, like right around two two thirty. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I'm not a morning person, so I could not do it, but. Well, I know, I, think, two, I know 2 p.m. is morning to you, Mark, so. <laughs> it's true, true. Um, well, Ralph, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, a little bit of a quiet period for ASU right now, uh, although, you know, there's still recruiting stuff that's popping off um, at this point in the year, but uh, still about a little over a month until um, uh, fall practice starts. Uh, just with everything how everything's played out uh, in the first seven, yeah, seven months of the Dillingham era. What's the thing that's like stuck out to you most about his uh, tenure so far? The competition um, is the thing that, that uh, I paid the most attention to. The culture of, of competition is very interesting to me because I think a lot of coaches come in with a pie in the sky idea of the culture that they want to bring in. Most coaches are not first-time coaches. Most coaches are upgrading or on their second chance or maybe on a second go-round with the, with, with the same school. Um, most coaches are not 32 years old. Uh, and so, you know, to institute a culture, there's certain things that Kenny Dillingham's been around. He's been around Todd Graham. You know, he's he's been in the SEC. He's been around Mike Norvell. Um, and, and, you know, and he got to be, uh, around his old friend, Dan Lanning, right. For this last year, um, yep. and see how a young coach helps formulate his ideas and the culture. Um, so he kind of has maybe an idea of what he would want it to look like, but he's never done it before. And so to step in and to say, everything's going to be a competition, uh, offensive linemen are going to run routes against defensive linemen. We're going to bring a basketball hoop out to, to practice. Uh, everyone's going to be playing chess. You know, I, I'm, right. I'm going to try to get over on them with magic tricks. Like what, like whatever it is, like gamifying everything, making everything a competition. Um, you know, I never really thought about it much before watching Kenny Dillingham go through this process. But it, when you, when you put in a spirit of competition, it makes it it just makes what you do on the football field it makes what you do in practice um when you're battling for position when you're when you're battling to be higher on the depth chart just part of what you do on a daily basis 
I like that. Um, it's very interesting to me, but I don't know. Uh, well, I think there's still so much that we don't know about what it's going to look like under Kenny Dillingham moving forward. I think he's got a great staff, um, but it's, you know, th- this is, this is new and anybody pretending that it's not just because they want it to be um, successful immediately. You have to yeah. understand Herm Edwards was what, 63 years old when he came to ASU. He had a, a decade plus of instituting his own culture on NFL teams. And even and part of it was not knowing anything about college football, but even he had a massive adjustment period. Todd Graham came in and he was, you know, they, they made him sell the stadium. And so, right. you know, yeah. he, he had his time to institute uh, what he wanted to do. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a massive adjustment period for anybody. And so I, I would just, I would say that we're going to know more about what this looks like a year from now, and you'll probably see some things change and, and adjust and mistakes get made. But for right now, I just like the idea of getting everybody competing in all things all the time. Right. Well, and I'm going to throw out a lofty name here, but when, just growing up a Seahawks fan, that that sounds a lot like Pete Carroll. Like it's always he's always talking about competition all the time. Not saying Dillingham's going to be the next Pete Carroll, just for the record. But uh, yeah, I mean that's so important. And I mean, especially after last year, where I'm not going to say all the coaching staff felt this way, but just watching it seemed like some of them felt like it was kind of mailing it in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mailing but it in. Knows? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure that they all wanted to win, and I'm sure that they're all competitors. Um, but the head coach quit, or he was fired. We, we're not ever going to get a straight answer on on that um, for financial reasons. But, you know, if if the head coach is willing to pack his bags and be in the airport the day after taking a loss to Eastern Michigan – you know, what do you expect from, from your players when they're facing adversity? Um, so t- last year was, you know, it's over. That's the best thing about last year is that it's over. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned Eastern Michigan and it kind of got a gear in my brain twisting. Like, is it better that ASU actually just lost that game instead of like pulling out like a 28, 27 win or something, or would that have just delayed the inevitable? I think it would have slightly delayed the inevitable. Um, it's never good to lose. The repercussions of the Eastern Michigan game are still being felt by people that aren't, you know, front facing wearing pads. True. Um, I, I flew back to Charlotte after uh, attending a, a big seven on seven event in Maricopa last weekend next to two Sun Devils who had just given up their season tickets after 15 years because of eastern michigan game like there there are people who checked out because of that and didn't check back in to see some of the things that are going on with the program now it put asu in a prove it period with a lot of casual is not the right word for it because we're talking about longtime fans giving up their season tickets right um the lifeblood of of the program the people that financially contribute just decided that they had had enough and and they want to put their energy into other things. So I would say that it's definitely not good to lose. Um, Some people do subscribe to that theory of like, sometimes you just got to break the bones so that it'll reset and heal properly. I understand that metaphor, but at the same time, you still got to break the bone. 
you still got a long <laughs> rehab period. You still got a lot of adversity that you have to face because that bone is broken. So I, it's never good to lose, um, especially in the way that they did. Uh, but it, you know, they, they did have time to regroup and energize and rally around Trenton Bourget and, and, and they did accomplish some good things last year and, you know, enough to keep Sean Aguano around the program. So, um, it, in the end, could it end up being uh, a net positive? Sure. But like, I, I think they're still behind the eight ball right now. Definitely. And you brought up Trenton Bourget. He's, he's been a name that I, a lot of people I feel like might be sleeping on a little bit with all of the the, you know, the Drew Pine acquisition and Jaden Rashada and things like that is, is Trenton Bourget somebody that you see based on everything he did last year as a genuine player in this quarterback competition? He's the best quarterback on the roster right now. Um, he's uh, probably the, uh, the, the player that the guys have bought into the most. They've seen some results. Um, he's the exact kind of personality that this team needs at this time, he absolutely meets the moment. Um, he's a competitor. You know, I, I, the behind the eight ball thing is interesting because it's amazing what we're willing to give somebody as far as the benefit of the doubt, if they come in with uh, hype or accolades or praise from people we don't even know. Right. People, we, we don't even know how they arrived at the idea of giving somebody, you know, and I'm, I'm work with an affiliate of rivals, you know, I, you put a five star next to somebody's name and then the, that expectation is just there. They could go out and, and they could not look good, but the idea is always that they could come back around to meet that potential, that potential that was put upon them by somebody you don't even know with criteria you don't even understand, right? Trenton Borgay did not get evaluated by any of the uh, recruiting companies. And, and the reason for that is the way that these evaluations work offers trigger evaluations. So nobody was willing to come in and offer a 5'11", six foot, you know, 180 pound quarterback who had success at the 5A level at Marana, just north of Tucson. I knew he was good. Chili knew he was good. Everybody on my staff knew that he was good. I'm also a person that if if somebody who gets paid to do this for a living doesn't come in and uh, and put their stamp of, of approval on it, I, I also am not always sure that they'll have that success at the next level. To me, Trenton Borgay was always going to be a productive college quarterback. I can't say that I thought that it would be in the Pac-12, and neither can anybody else, and that's what makes this story so unique. But I do know a little bit about Trenton Borgay. I followed him out to uh, Mesquite, Nevada for a seven on seven tournament, because I had heard that that's all he does is win. That's it. Like a national championship after national championship after national championship with Tucson turf, a seven on seven outfit out of, um, out of Tucson. And people say like, well, that's not real football. It's not, but it, it is timing. Right. And if you have all of these five-star recruits that do play in the seven on seven circuit and they're getting torn apart by Trenton Borgay, in Indianapolis, in Mesquite, Nevada, wherever they travel, wherever they go, Miami, Florida, in Arizona. If Tucson Turf is winning every single one of these, all of them, there must be something to this kid, you know? And so, I, you know, I'm I'm not surprised that he's had the success that he's had. And then you get all the backdoor reports. And, you know, I was still with Devil's Digest, I think, in, in a limited capacity when he first got to ASU. And you hear that he looks good in practice. 
you know, no surprise. It's, it's practice. He's going to nail all those throws. He's going to memorize the offense. Um, and then to get to know him as a person and to get to know his family, um, he's confident. He's a natural leader. He wants to win. He has literally every personality trait that you would want in either a franchise quarterback or a starting quarterback. You know, he has every bit of it. He's just not six, three. That's right. it. That's, that's the only thing that's, you know, that that's missing. He's not physically imposing um, the way that a couple of uh, uh, you know, last year's quarterback was for um, for Arizona state. And so it's really hard for, it's really hard for coaches to get past that. You know, they want the biggest piece of clay possible that they can mold down. Right. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes that mindset bleeds over into quarterback right now. And I, you guys, I got to understand, like I there, I've never uh, loved a quarterback more than I love Jacob Conover. And I watched, you know, cause they're always on, I watched seven of Drew Pine's eight wins last year. Right. Um, they have a good quarterback room, but Trenton Borgay is the guy for the moment right now. I, I got to spend some time with him uh, 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 this last week in Maricopa um, because uh, Chili, who ran the, the Flight Club 7-on-7 seven seven event, uh, had had uh, paid an NIL fee to players from U of A and ASU to be out there and, and help put this on. And Trenton Borgay was out there. Coven Borgay was out there. Um, and one of the things that he said while he was out there, just it's the thing that you want to hear, you know, where, where he was like, hey, you know, we're 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 going to the Rose Bowl for the last time this year. You know, hopefully we can come up away with a win. And I said last time. And he's like, well, hopefully we play there twice. And I'm like, yeah, that's the exact mindset that you that's want smooth. from your quarterback. Yeah, right? that's, a, that's a smooth answer right there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you know, we've talked about him quite a bit on this show because I think he was somebody that was so impressive last year. Trenton Borgay, um, yeah. given everything that went on, just. His performance in that Washington game, you talked about all of those traits in terms of like that poise and his ability to, you know, respond and all of the traits that you want out of somebody at that position. And I think watching that Washington game, you saw all of those traits sort of exemplified. You saw that ability to like respond against a guy like Michael Penix on the other side who just kept coming at them. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So I, I was so impressed by him last year. And I think that potential pairing, just knowing what Kenny Dillingham has done with quarterbacks in the past, the possibility for that pairing, given what, you know, we've talked about and what you just mentioned and Dillingham's pedigree with quarterbacks. I, I'm so excited about Trenton Borgay. So it's cool to hear all of that and, and know that it's sort of substantiated. <laughs> yeah. And, and when you talk about uh, Kenny Dillingham's reputation with quarterbacks, this is a big year for him a really big year for him because this is how you set yourself up as one of the destinations, right? Mm -hmm. They're able to pull Jaden Rashada and the circumstances surrounding that were incredibly unique. But if Trenton Borgay or whoever starts for Arizona state has a top three, top four year in the PAC 12 this year, then you're talking about the reemergence of Jordan Travis, the reemergence of Bo Nix. And then you're talking about having success at Arizona state with, you know, either elevating, uh, Drew Pine passed what he was able to do um, at Notre Dame. And he had some absolute clunkers um, yeah. that ended up still being wins at Notre Dame. And that's all that matters in, in, in the end for the team. But as a quarterback, you, 
you, what you want is the Caleb Williams 42 touchdowns. Like that's right. what you want, right? So yeah, nobody um, look at Drew Pine's stat line when they beat Clemson. I, right. I saw the win and I'm like, yes. And then I'm like, oh, okay. This is like a Jimmy G in the NFC championship game. Right. <laughs> but if, if Drew Pine ends up being the guy and he turns that around, or if Trenton yeah. Borgay with no rating whatsoever ends up right. throwing for yeah. 3,500 yards, then all of a sudden you have this track record that is absolutely undeniable. And you become one of those schools where the, the there's five or six quarterbacks every single year that come out that all of these coaches agree are as close to a sure thing as you're going to get. And right now, Lincoln Riley gets one of those, yeah. right? Uh, Nick Saban gets one of those. You, uh, Steve Sarkeesian gets one of those. You want to be in that conversation if you're Kenny Dillingham. And he's really on the cusp of, of doing it, um, especially if he's able to do it with, with, with any one of the, the, the group that's there now. And the one thing that you can probably guarantee is that you're going to play mul multiple quarterbacks this year. I think 11 of the 12 Pac-12 schools last year had to start more than one quarterback, Arizona State included. So uh, I, I would not be surprised if, if Arizona State was forced um, you know, through various circumstances to have to rely on more than one quarterback. And that's when you're really going to see, you know, is Kenny Dillingham that quarterback whisper? And, and are you going to be able to take that and hit the recruiting trail? Because that can be transformative for your program over time. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're already kind of seeing the dividends with uh, Butter, my favorite. Yeah, Butter Tolson. And then, I mean, I guess a little, this isn't ASU related, but Dante Moore was going to go to or. Oregon, or at least it looked that way. That's right. Then, no, he was committed. He was committed yeah. for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that that just seemed like it was Dillingham's doing. Um, you mentioned switching out or potentially multiple quarterbacks playing. The plus side of, from that on my end is like, for being a bad team last year, ASU had some good skill play players that are coming back. And um, the running back room should be interesting, although Scadabo looked really good at the spring game. But it at least with Conyers and Badger, Jordan Tyson, and then Guillory, who's looked great uh, reportedly. It it at least it seems like they're not running out there with a bunch of you know not very good players to throw to. Yeah, I I think that if you're a um, if you're a person that thinks that God cares about sports, <laughs> and, and and you like to invest a little prayer time, definitely pray for health this year for this offense, because I think that if they are on the field for the majority of the season, um, the, 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 what looks like is going to be the top of the depth chart right now, I think they're going to have a really effective offense. And what I'm very excited for is Jalen Conyers, um, not because of the, the, some of the things that he's flashed, um, but because of how much he's embraced the era and how much he's embraced the school and being sort of the, the, the face and voice of the school, um, he, he's an impressive kid and coming from, you know, being in Oklahoma and getting lost in the mix to come into Arizona state and really making this his moment. I, I want huge things for him. And obviously, you know, Guillory and I, you know, before Andre Johnson had any scholarship offers, that was one of those guys that I, I would walk around right. to coaches and be like, are you insane? Are you insane? Like he, this is a college football player, you know, his brother, yep. His brother, his older brother was the state 100 meter champion. And then the little brother is this 6'3", 236 inch vertical, you know, uh, moldable, coachable player. 
And it's like, why aren't people taking a chance on him? I think it came down to like Dixie State and ASU. Oh, wow. For Andre Johnson. And Andre Johnson got that scholarship offer based on a seven-on-seven performance um, hosted at Arizona State uh that that i was at and 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 it's just crazy to me that more people didn't get to see what he was capable of i would love for him to be um that high point guy uh, while guillory is the you know the over the top the brain and iu you know deep, deep ball threat and then you have uh conyers in the seam um you know scatabo able to you know to to handle some check downs this offense could be a lot of fun um provided they're all healthy and you know they've already right. lost the cal transfer on the offensive line potentially for the season just like they lost joey ramos last year for yeah. the season yeah. you, you if this offense is to be functional they need to remain as healthy as possible so uh it, 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 again yeah if you if, if you think that uh god is a sun devils fan um maybe put in a put in a good word for this offense because that's really going to be the key to success this year is is whether or not the top tier players the ones that have stood out in practice get to play a full season well if god is a sun devil fan he's doing a cruel job of showing, <laughs> showing it. Showing it. yeah <laughs> um, thing, oh go ahead mark my bad no no colton you go you go i was just gonna ask real quick because I, I think you have a very unique perspective ralph in terms of like covering this from a high school perspective as well and seeing all of these recruits and things like that. I know one massive, or I, I don't know if massive is the right word, but a big talking point in the past has been ASU's inability to kind of be in the mix in a lot of these homegrown players recruitments, right? And that's something that Kenny Dillingham has, has come in and really emphasized. And, and I was just wondering May, it might be too early to see any sort of changes or anything like that, but have you seen the perspective on ASU shift at all in the eyes of recruits just in the early going? Has that been something you've noticed at all? No. Um, it's a tough question to answer because yeah. the kids are the kids. And mm -hmm. and this is probably my favorite uh, Kenny Dillinghamism is the kids haven't changed. We changed. And, and mm -hmm. that's obviously about something else. That's just about like societal standards and practices and parenting and whatnot. But it, it kind of fits with everything. The kids are the kids. They want to go where it best fits them. And they want to go where they're wanted. So I would say that the attitude about Arizona State from locals has always been the exact same and will continue to be the same. The expectation is that if you are good enough to play at the Pac-12 level, Arizona State is going to recruit you. That is the baseline expectation of these kids. That didn't change when Herm was there and they faced the disappointment of Antonio Pierce prioritizing California. Um, and it it was there when, when Todd Graham was in place. It's there now. The baseline expectation is that the local school is going to recruit you. Arizona is unique in that I think it has less colleges per capita than anywhere in the country. Um, you know, there's three options for them if they want to stay in state. And, and that's just untenable for the uh, level of, uh, of talent and the, the massive growth in Arizona high school football. You know, these recruits are, are having to go all over the country. They have to go all over the country because there are more recruits you know, there are more than 75 players going D1 and only 75 spots in the state for D1 
recruits and you know the in-state schools are going to go get the best players regardless of where they're at Mm -hmm, uh, the best players that want to be there so the expectation is arizona state should at least recruit me the expectation should never be that the in-state kids are going to stick around they're going to go to the place that's the best fit for them and now with nil in place they're going to go to the place that's not only the best fit for them but is going to prioritize marketing them in some way um, that they can achieve uh, gains in making capital now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be tough when you're competing for some of the higher level recruits. Um, the, Christian Clark at Mountain Point, four-star running back, just went to Texas. Well, they have the proven concept with Bajan Robinson, who just went right. way higher than a running back should go um, in the NFL draft after spending three years at Texas and having you know a higher yards per carry than Cedric Benson uh, up there with Ricky Williams, like had an all time career at Texas. And Christian Clark looks at that. and He's like, I could do that too. Plus they're going to reward him. So you have that to compete with now. Um, But what these kids want from Arizona state coaches is they want to plan. And this is why I love that DJ Foster is on staff because, you know, the expectations that you're going to get recruited, how you win an Arizona kid is you come in and you say, this is our plan for you. These are the alumni that we want you to meet with. This is the community that's going to pour into you. This is what your life is going to look like at 25, 35, 45, 55. And there's nobody better to do that than DJ Foster, because that's how Todd Graham won DJ Foster over with a group effort and putting together a plan. And that plan is now unfolding before our very eyes with DJ Foster being part of the staff of, of Arizona state. And so there's no better evangelist for that. Uh, you listen to the way that Kenny Dillingham talks about the, the community that, you know, that's going to be the thing that excites parents, maybe not necessarily the players themselves. They don't care about like metropolitan growth and economic stats and and everything. Um, you know, they, they want to be wanted and, you know, you have a staff in place right now that might not be prioritizing Arizona above all else. And mm-hmm. you shouldn't, you should really prioritize the best players that you can get within your footprint right. um, uh, based on the staff that you have in place and the staff they have in place right now has a reach into Texas. Mm-hmm. It's funny how that pendulum works of like Graham, Texas. Yeah. Well, you're fired because we need to be in California and then Antonio Pierce, California, and then pendulum back to Texas. Um, so I would say kids haven't changed. Attitude hasn't changed. They like ASU. They like U of A. They want to go to those schools if it's the best opportunity for them, uh, but they want to be wanted. The expectations that they're going to get recruited, it's so easy to turn a kid off when you aren't the first one on them or you you don't know who they are or you don't give them the time of day um, or you do some of the stuff that the previous staff did, like take a commitment from a local kid and then cut him loose at the last minute then you know the kids talk the parents talk the coaches talk and then there's just this negative malaise toward the university in general um mm-hmm. so you got a new staff in place they're walking this tightrope you're also recruiting from the transfer portal so the opportunities are even fewer you have to make sure that the kids that you aren't even going to take feel the love in such a way that they have a good muscle memory of Arizona state when they go off to wherever they're going to go. Cause you're going to get a second shot at them. You absolutely. Yeah. are going to get a second shot at them. And that's been the case for years now, whether it was Christian Westerman, uh, Casey Tucker, right. you know, guys who were high level recruits in the state of Arizona who came back around because they had a good experience being recruited the first time. Now you have to be super mindful of that because yeah, Christian Clark went to Texas, but then they took a four star from, from Florida 
at running back, same position, like the next day. So who who knows what that ends up looking like, you know, Christian Clark could be a future Sun Devil. You always have to have that, that, that attitude. Um, So you just have to give as many people as possible, a good experience being recruited. And I think this staff is very mindful of that. That's such an interesting layer to it. And one that like, you know, should be at the forefront of your mind and something you should understand with this whole era of the transfer portal. But I think that gets lost is that idea of like, I guess maybe from a fan's perspective, you you know, you miss out on a recruit and you're like, oh, okay, I guess he's gone. But guys can turn around and come right back. So that's, uh, that's so interesting. (laughs) Hey, I am, I am married to someone who broke up with me my sophomore year of high school. You, oh wow! You always want to leave things yeah, as right. good as possible, just in case. <laughs> I'm glad it worked uh, out for you. I am too. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna kind of shift the topic here. Let's let's look into the future five years from now, and let's say, like, what happened if the Kenny Dillingham era doesn't go well? Why would you think that might be? Uh. Well, if Kenny Dillingham fails at Arizona State, I won't be available for comment because I will probably be institutionalized. And that, that, that's the risk of this thing that so many people begged for. Like, we need one of us. You know, we need somebody who understands local recruiting. We need somebody young. Uh, we need somebody innovative. We need somebody... Um, who has an allegiance to not only the university, but the, the state in general. Um, if he blows it, then that means that all of us that have been whining for ever are wrong. And I don't have the constitution to just power through that. Like I can't, I can't pretend like I didn't spend 10 years calling for this exact thing. Um, this is the dog that caught the car. Right. So like, what do you do now? Um, I, I really hope that not only, not only that he succeeds, but that the, the understanding, the overall understanding from the fan base, this is a lot to ask is that this is more than a five-year thing. Right. And I I want to reiterate, there are going to be bumps (laughs) this year. And I I think they're going to be better than, than, you know, what some people are, predicting i i I think the way that this staff is acting is six seven wins or bust and i love that but i just mean with like interpersonal yeah eight home games is incredible um but interpersonal relationships power dynamics um coaches have uh traditionally come to arizona state as a launching pad to whatever they're going to do next so dealing with continuity issues if most of your recruits right now are coming from coach samples who is recruiting Texas, well, every school in the country wants to recruit Texas. Somebody's going to throw the bag at coach samples and he's not going to not take the bag. So then you have to deal with retooling, replacing that. So there's a lot of stuff outside of football that you have to be concerned with. And so if it doesn't look like back-to-back 10 win seasons like Todd Graham had in what 2013-2014 right away, you know, people need to understand that it's a new era and as long as it looks like they are building and adjusting and learning and you know scandal-free, right? As long as 
as long as there's not such a divide in the staff that a group of people are so disgruntled that they put together a dossier and leak it directly to the NCAA, um, you know, you're going to have the opportunity to build on both your failures and your successes. So uh, I, I guess what not working out would look like is losing winnable games um, and losing the, 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 the fans Right. Even though you have to earn, you would have to earn them to lose them. You really would have to earn them to lose them. Really? You know, they, they set these lofty goals for the spring game and those lofty goals are important, but that was the first big disappointment. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's something they have to learn from, not get soured on, uh, not give up on, um, you know, they're not just recruiting players. They're recruiting the fans back. And I like that Kenny Dillingham's contract was structured in a way that understands the amount of damage that was done by bringing in a coach who had been out of football for nine years, out of college football for 30 years, didn't coach the offense and was told he wouldn't have to, didn't coach the defense and was told he wouldn't have to, wasn't in charge of recruiting and was told that he wouldn't have to be and put no effort into learning the rules that surround uh, being an NCAA head coach. That, that uh, an incredible amount of damage was done. The fact that they were able to win games in right. that, you know, is, is the real story here. Like the, it, there were some very good players and there were some very good football coaches here that were making the best of just an absolutely bonkers, bonkers situation that saw, you know, former NFL pro bowl players feuding with NFL hall of famers on the staff you know, and that bled out into a million different things. It, it is it is wild the amount of damage that was done, and that's without even knowing what the the NCAA is going to have to say about any of this. Yeah. And if you look at the penalties that most schools get after their investigations last three to four years, they don't seem to be too heavy handed. If you look at like what LSU just got or what what Tennessee dealt with when they were putting um, stacks of cash in McDonald's bags. You know, my guess is it's not so much the punishment, but the waiting that has become the punishment. Um, and so I, I hope that people understand that this is going to be a long path back. And if five years from now, you know, they're still putting together six and seven seasons and whatnot, you're going to have to have to, you're going to have to come up with some type of metric to justify changing everything again, because I just don't think you're going to get anybody that is more motivated to succeed at Arizona state than Kenny Dillingham or the pairing of Kenny Dillingham, Charlie Regal and Sean Aguano. You know, right. this is, uh, I'm going to tell you something about Charlie. Charlie Regal has been dreaming of this day his entire life. You know, he told me that like he wrote essays in college at ASU about how to save ASU football. Like this is exactly where Charlie Regal wants to be. And, and, you know, his tutelage of Kenny Dillingham is what set this entire thing in motion for them to, they, they are going to put their all into this. And if they blow it, then we all blew it. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have been sold on this being the solution for as long as I have, you know, paid attention to um, Arizona state football in more than a, you know, drink half a bottle of Goldschlager and, leave in the third quarter type of way, you know? So for at least the last 10 years, 
um, you know, at working whether through Devil's Digest or, or Arizona Varsity, you know, thinking about constantly what would what would actually work here. Um, this is it. This is the exact structure. Right. And if and if it doesn't work, then I was wrong, and I can't accept that. That's going to be a tough day. Yeah, you're well, I mean, it would be. You sound pretty confident in it. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's this or not. I think it's this or or what it's been. Okay. Right? That, I think that's what it comes down to that 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 either the giant is asleep or the giant is dead. <laughs> like yeah. it, that, that's the sleeping giant wake up, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we got a we got a rip van winkle ass giant right now and an entire <laughs> fan base that was won over by a nineteen ninety-six team that didn't even win their bowl game. Right. You know, we yeah. are twenty-five years away from the last time and I, it, some argument can be made that you know the hosting the pac-12 championship against stanford was a was a good year but it wasn't an undefeated year no you know, an argument can be made that you know losing um you know losing late in the season to not um be in a in a in a major bowl and having to go texas and getting crushed with rudy carpenter you know that might have been the best season since but but it hasn't you know we we haven't had a moment a true moment in yeah. 25 years so like the giant might not be sleeping and i think i think this is the only recipe to to wake it up you know well in, in my opinion yeah i just i'm so sick of there needs to be a different term for asu like just like a sleeping large person or something <laughs> because like a giant implies so much you know if it wakes up so to speak but yeah and it's what it's also what are we basing the what are we basing it off of right that yeah. college was awesome you know there's not going to be a lot of people that tell you that going to Arizona State wasn't great even if you're not somebody who you know I'm, I'm not somebody who uh, you know I was married when I went I started going to ASU at 25 years old I was married and I took like an average of 22 credits a semester I don't even remember college and, and I, I didn't drink like I was just always doing something and it was still, it was an incredible time. The education, the weather, the people, you know, go, going to mm -hmm. games, the, the, uh, you know, I was an, I was an English major. They were always bringing in um, accomplished like authors and, and stuff like that for, for us to go listen to um, and meet and, and hang out with and stuff. And, and like the, the experience of going to Arizona state is great, but how does that necessarily translate to athletic success? I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure that that people know what they're talking about in in that manner like the 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 real giants are the ones that have an invested alumni base and and Arizona State hasn't had the continuity and the investment to even be in a position like Texas is to where they are not good and have not been good for an extraordinarily long time right since Vince Young they have not been yeah. relevant since Same for that sugar bowl. Good Colt that McCoy year, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they're out there spending $150,000 on Arch Manning's recruiting visit. Like, that's a sleeping giant. Right, right. That's what that looks like, right? Um, Arizona State is UCF West. There's a lot of people that go there. It's a really good time. And if they do things the right way, they could have an awesome football program. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I notice, and maybe that it could be something that actually hurts the school is 
if you just look at Wikipedia in the win and loss column over the years, there's very few like disaster seasons at ASU. Like a lot, there's a lot of six and six, there's seven and five yeah. everywhere. There's a few five and seven scattered in there. But I think that, and especially when you have a president like Michael Crow, who, you know, doesn't burn, have a competitive burning fire for football, going six and six or seven and five isn't the worst thing in his eyes. And then it kind of, it's, but it also leads to, we haven't had a moment, you know? Yeah. I, well, a couple of things on that. Um, one of the reasons that ASU has never bottomed out, bottomed out is because it is absolute hell to play in Tempe. They have an incredible home field advantage. Um, and as long as that exists, which is why I love the eight, eight home game season, as long as that exists, as long as people are, you know, 830 or not, as long as you have to come in with a 120 degree field temperature at kickoff when the sun's not even out, like you're going to you're going to have some type of advantage. And I would, you know, as far as Michael Crow goes, maybe if you told him that people who bought season tickets were actually like paying a lease, you called it a lease or like rent or like uh, uh, something like that, then then maybe you know, that would excite him a little bit more because, you know, he, I, I think he's, he's good at what he does. Um, but you know, he, he's kind of the landlord in chief, right. Always yeah. looking to make some type of t- real estate deal to expand the Arizona state empire. Um, you know, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what would get him to the point where um, he kind of rep anytime you bring it up, you know, and, and Ray Anderson has gotten to that point too where you bring it up, like, we want to be good. And then they'll be like, but we haven't been. And we're like, all right, but we want to be good. And they're like, yeah, but we haven't been. Do you understand that we haven't been? Maybe you should be more realistic because we haven't been. And it's like, okay, cool. But we want to be good and you're in charge. So we're not in charge. We're, we're here watching, waiting. You are responsible and you're trying to temper our expectations no work harder do better do your job like that's that's what we want to see from you is we want you to care as as much as we care right and it, it's very weird to see the certain circumstances where they'll uh where they will try to take credit for a change of direction you know i, I can't tell you the number of times where you know i've had to stop what i'm doing and like rub my temples because i listening to some podcast where ray anderson said you know, and, and that's why we felt like it was time to make a change with Herm. So we made a change. Like, no, you specifically have done everything you could to avoid saying that you were the one responsible for making a change because that would have cost you twice as much as it cost you to say that it was a mutual decision. And I'm still waiting for one person to, to have the stones to say, Ray, tell me what a mutual decision sounds like. Is it is it Ray Anderson sitting across from Herm Edwards? And he's like, okay, Herm. On three, let's both say what we're thinking. And then Herm's like, okay, this is going to be interesting. One, two, three. I shouldn't be the coach of Arizona State anymore. And Ray's like, you shouldn't be the coach of Arizona State anymore. They're like, ah, best friends, hug, $4 million. You know, no, no. That, you know, so you have Ray Anderson out here taking credit for this change of direction. Um, You either fired him or he quit. You found a workaround to make sure that your friend got paid out. I respect that. That's what I would do for my friends. I hope my friends would do that for me. But at the same time, like what we want is somebody to say, yeah, he's my best friend. We sucked. I canned his ass. I was wrong. This is the direction that we're going next. I'm all in. I hope you're all in too. 
And I hope that you can accept my contrition for where things ended up and understand that I'm determined to take this exactly where it needs to go. But that's not what we get. We get, we get like, well, you know, the last time we went to the Rose bowl, none of our students were even born yet. Like, cool, fix it. Yeah. All we want is for you to fix it. Well, yeah. What bothers me with that, it's like, I see, I saw Oregon state win 10 games last year. I've seen wake forest win 10 games recently. I've seen, you know, like Pitt won its conference. Like it's not, I know that ASU has its its own unique issues, but it like it, it we're not at the bottom of the barrel in the power five. And that's what annoys me when he says stuff like that. Well, what would you do if you complained to your landlord? Like my pipes leak. And he was like, these pipes have always leaked. Like what? Yeah. Okay. What does that have to do with me here yeah. now? The victim of the leaky pipes. Fix the pipes. It's your job. Yeah. Um. Oh, Colton, I thought you were gonna say something. Or... Oh no, I just thought you froze. I was just checking. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, yeah. It's. It's it, at least it feels like like you said earlier, like a, a lot of the the bad stuff of last year is behind us, and it feels like just um like looking into this year. Does like a six and six, seven and five season sound reasonable? Like you said, the coaches mentioned. Hell yeah. Sounds great. Like go, going bowling right out of the gate after turning over 50 roster spots. Sounds fantastic. Rewarding guys like Jordan Clark and Will Schaefer and yeah. Rode Torrance and Jalen Conyers for sticking around and actually having some success. Uh, sounds fantastic. There. There, you know, there's been so you have like Jake Dickert come into Washington State. They turn a lot of the roster over. You know, they have a, a halfway decent second season. And then at the end of that season, you have a bunch of people bail because it wasn't enough success to put up with the stress of the culture shift. Because what you're going to hear as a player on this team, and or if, or it, you know, if you were at Colorado. Uh, last year and you're at Colorado this year, if you're at Arizona state last year and you're at Arizona state this year, you're going to hear a whole lot of like, we don't do things the way we did last year. And you're going to start to feel like, you know, I was part of that. And I, you know, it, it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. Right. So for the players that continued over the only salve for that sting is success. If you, if your coach is going to come in and say, I know you did things one way, but we do them this way. And the evidence for, the lack of success is the way that you did them. The only way that that's not going to be a permanent, permanent sting is the reward of actually like the results of doing things the new way and, and right away. And I've, I've seen a lot of people talk recently, like one of the biggest markers and indicators that a coach is going to have success long-term um, success, including having the backing of the fans is immediate success, immediate impact. So, you know, yeah. I, I think, that reasonable people are like, you know, Arizona state four or five wins, you know, it's going to be a rough year. They're rebuilding. We'll see what it looks like next year. I don't think there's a single person on that coaching staff that isn't like eight wins or we're all failures, eight wins or we're all going to go to Jonestown and drink the Kool-Aid like that. Like they are, they are all in on having as much success as possible, especially showing out, at home, you know, you know that every coach in this conference wants a piece of Colorado. 
Yeah. You know, they're salivating over, over that, you know, every coach in this conference wants to send UCLA and USC to the big 10 with a foot in their ass, every single one, you know, so they're going to want to get a win over one of those LA schools. You know, that, uh, that I, I think that are they on the schedule this year? Uh, is there going to be a Kenny Dillingham versus Dan Lanning? ASU versus Oregon? I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm like 95% sure, but let's look it up. I, yeah, I, got the, I got the schedule right here. I can tell you. Um, Oregon. Oh, yeah. Salute to service night on November 18th. Yeah, so that one, that one's going to be super heated. You know that people are sick of Utah being the bullies on the block. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I know I just got done saying it's never good to lose, but that extra motivation is going to be there to get the territorial cut back. Almost right. every single one of these games has an immense amount of, of, of meaning for this team. Washington it's, State has beat the beat the crap out of them the last two times they played. And why is that game going to be important? Because Brian Ward left right. that staff. Like, did Travion everything. Brown. Yeah. It, Brian Ward did everything he could to get a hold of Kenny Dillingham to let him know, I want to be your DC. Brian Ward could have stayed on at Washington State under Jake Dickert, who was also a defensive coordinator, by the way. So maybe there's that little bit of friction over like who's mm-hmm. actually in charge of, of what's going on. But Brian Ward sought out Arizona State. He sought out ASU. You know that that Washington State game is going to be important for both Jake Dickert and, you know, a- and Kenny Dillingham. Uh, I don't know if you remember that Washington State game from last year. Oregon was on the ropes. The fact yes. that they won that game is it was the, the odds were astronomically that was a great in their favor. Yeah. yeah. I, I rem- that one was a heartbreaker. I remember that for, for reasons, you know, you can probably uh, financial reasons. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I remember that one all too well. I think we were at my house for that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was brutal. Anyway, Ralph, you were saying, <laughs> yeah, sorry. No, I just, there's not a, there's not a game on this schedule that isn't important. They lost to Oklahoma state last year. Yeah. Right. So that, that matters. Um, who they have Sac State? They've called who do they who do they uh, open? Southern Utah and then Oklahoma oh. State and Fresno State. Okay, Southern Utah. Even Southern Utah's roster almost I think like thirty percent Arizona kids. So yeah. this is gonna be this is gonna be like former teammates seeing each other on on the field type stuff. So they'll they'll have no problem even getting up for that game. You know, I, I think every single game on this schedule is is gonna be one. Um, that that provides some level uh, of of excitement and intrigue, and um, yeah, I I think I think that this coaching staff is thinking like, if we can get to nine wins with a bowl, why the hell not? You know. Well, that would be that would be great. I mean, um, that's the best. You know, I started going to ASU 2014, so that would be the best. Cause that's what the 2014 team did. So, um, you know, well, that'd be great, but <laughs> 2021 TCU was four and eight. Yeah. 2021 Washington was four and eight. Absolutely. There, it is never, it has never been easier to make an immediate impact and it has never been harder to sustain it. I mean, just ask Mark Tucker at Michigan state. Right. You know, came, came in right. there, made a splash. I think they went four and eight last year. Yeah. So, you know, and he's making, uh, I think Matt Ishbia is fully funding his 90 something million dollar contract. 
Yeah. Matt Ishbia, like I, I'm not a Suns fan, but Matt Ishbia is doing what every every sports fan would do if they had multi billions of dollars. I, like I respect that aspect. He's, of he's it. playing sure. with the salary cap off right now. Is what he's doing. Yeah, this this is what it's like to actually have to actually be rich. Right. Yeah. We had somebody that was pretending to be rich, and now this is what it looks like when you actually have money. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Well. Uh, speaking of money, the Pac-12 still hasn't gotten a, a media rights deal as of June 29th. Um, there, you know, all if you listen to podcasts and stuff, the unofficial deadline is uh, Pac-12 media days on July 21st, and so we're in the critical stretch here. I guess it's so weird talking about this because it just nobody knows what the numbers are and the timelines are all over the place. Um, and then it also, it's like ASU and U of A may be separating in different conferences. What's like the thing that sticks out about you with ASU and the conference realignment mix or potential mix that is? Um, the thing that sticks out for me is that we have not had, <laughs> and I, we're not going to get it, but it would be nice to get some acknowledgement from Michael Crow that, that he, he kind of helped make this mess, right? Yeah. It would be, it would just be, it would be nice. Now, down to like the the nuts and bolts of it, what the Pac-12 had in place was so absurd. You know, it, this is what Larry Scott used to say. You know, yeah, we're not on direct TV. Yeah, we don't have the distributorship that we want, but we own this outright and that's what gives us an advantage over everybody else and who knows what things are going to look like five to ten years from now and you can bet that whatever exists five to ten years from now whether it's you know streaming or a platform we haven't even thought of yet we'll be ready because we own our stuff right it would be like owning a restaurant in a crime ridden neighborhood, right? Mm. You're not, you're not leasing the building, you own it, but no one wants to come to your restaurant because it's not a good experience, you know? And you have the people working there saying like, Hey, we need to make a living. You know, we're, we're, we're tipped wage employees. Like if, if we don't have customers, we're not making money. Explain to us why we should still work here. And the owner of the restaurant's like, you guys don't understand. We own this building. Who knows what could happen? You know, <laughs> Who, who knows what this neighborhood could look like five to 10 years from now? Maybe it even gets gentrified. We don't know, but we own this building. So we're going to be here no matter what. It, and then you had Michael Crow all along saying, what people don't understand is we used to have a little, now we have more. And that's due to our relationship with the Pac-12, Pac-12 Network, Larry Scott. But it never acknowledged the fact that everybody had more. And not only did everybody have more, everyone else had even more. Right. right so right. The, the train of thinking was always so absurd to even, you know, uh, I have a GED and it was plain as day to me. Right. Like, and if I, you know, if, if I can understand how absurd it is and that we're headed for a cliff, it always drove me nuts that the person that was paying $8 million a year in rent for office space and getting paid $5 million a year in salary couldn't acknowledge those things, and that the president of a major university was telling everybody they were stupid for thinking 
anything other than the Pac-12 was going to be successful. You had a situation where the distributorship of the Pac-12 network, because they couldn't strike a deal with DirecTV, was something like 17 million homes available in 17 million homes. I think what that's including is like airports in Destin, Florida. Right. You know, like stuff that's just being left on. It it wasn't to 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 put it even more clear. There's like 25 to 30 million homes in California alone, where there are four Pac-12 schools, and you're saying that the availability nationwide is only 17 to 18 million. Yeah. Nobody <laughs> is watching these games. No one. And so to say, like, well, we have this thing and we own it, and we have this window and we own it. 11:30 Eastern, you know, where an Applebee's TV gets left on, where ev- while everybody's rolling silverware and there's no customers in the restaurant, that's not ratings. That doesn't help grow the sport. And what it really seemed like is all of the Pac-12 schools did everything they could to serve the god of TV, even though they weren't on TV. They rolled back tailgating. They made the kickoff times unfriendly to people with kids. Um, you know, I'm, I'm out here living in the Southeast now. These teams know when they're going to kick off. Yeah. These fans are out there at six in the morning tailgating for a 2 p.m. kickoff. And they're going hard. Some of these fans don't ever even go into the stadium. We're talking like 70,000 go in. 40,000 stay outside. Like the tradition and everything is built around the live event, having the energy of college football. And then it translates to TV, which is what makes people want to watch pac 12 did everything they could to bow down to the God of TV without catering to making the college football environment, the main thing. Right. And, and Arizona state was a really, really big culprit in that. And, and it's nice to know that Kenny Dillingham is, you know, a, a reasonable person who wants to, to, to reverse course on that. But I say all that to say this, the only thing, and it's not the network. The only thing the PAC 12 had to itself was the window. That's it. The time window was me staying up for an 1145 Washington state versus Oregon state kickoff. Right. That's it. All they had was that exclusivity, and now it's gone. Because USC and UCLA took their ball and went home or went to the Midwest, right? So now when Oregon State and Washington State are about to kick off at 1145 Eastern, or you could be in the second quarter of UCLA-Purdue, what are you going to watch? Right. Well, I'm, I'll probably watch the Pac-12 game and not UCLA-Purdue, but I get your point. Like, a lot of people are watching the – it's so weird that just to say it out loud, UCLA-Purdue is a conference game. Yeah, that's but, wild. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I, I don't know. The, the thing to me is UCLA and USC leaving broke the back of the conference. Every network knows that they're that – if they were to pay anything more than 25 to $28 million per team, they would be getting fleeced because there is no competition here. If there was even one iota of competition, this deal would have been done eight months ago. Right. Right now, the competition is to see who can score these games 
for the least amount of money. And that is horrifying. And it sucks for George Klyavkov, who came in here with good ideas and good intentions, and then, you know, had <laughs> had a Boston College athletic director come out to UCLA and and organize this and an athletic director that never should have been hired because of his My personnel bones, record. Yeah. Yeah. Also organize this for, for USC. Um, and you know, it, it's all pretty tragic. And I know there's a lot of people that want to be mad at USC and UCLA. And I am a little bit cause I love the PAC 12. Um, but at the end of the day, what it comes down to is college football is dying on the West coast because people followed Larry Scott over the cliff. And, you know, I don't know what George Klyavkov is supposed to do about it. I would love to have San Diego state. I love you guys' opinion about Boise state. I know we're in the extreme minority, but I'd rather have a school with tradition and that is successful than people talking about markets. If we're talking about TV markets, we've already lost. What we need is good college football environments, like with lots of support and, and appeal and, and that fit in, with the identity of the PAC 12, which is that everything is extraordinarily unique that you could play in, in the mountains or in the desert or with an ocean backdrop or, you know, in the middle of a small town in, in Eastern Washington or in the middle of a a bustling metropolis in Seattle. Like, you know, that, that stuff is super unique to the PAC 12. Um, it's an incredible conference and an incredible brand and it was murdered. (laughs) And, and I don't, if I was a TV executive and I say, this is somebody who's like got an undying allegiance um, to, to the PAC 12. If I was a TV executive, I wouldn't pay a red cent for this because now I'm going to be going up against the two biggest brands in the biggest market on the West coast. Not every week, but most weeks. That's going to be, you know, so if somebody's the option to watch Lincoln Riley coach Caleb Williams or whoever the next Caleb Williams is, right? you know, uh, over something that's happened in research stadium, the TV audience is going to be with USC. And so I don't know if it, I don't know if it can be salvaged. I don't want to see Arizona state and Arizona go to the big 12. I don't want to see the two of them split up the way that Iowa and Iowa state are split up, but in the end, you have to just right now, the idea that 10 schools are saying we're banding together is insane to me. This is a, an environment in which you have to do what you can to survive. Arizona State should have made itself available to the Big 12 the, the moment that they were able, if for no other reason than to put a stick in the ass of the Pac-12 to get this done, to, to bring them back. And right now, Colorado is really the school that's sort of, you know, threatening, right? right. They're, they're threatening to make this, um, to, to make this exodus. And Colorado doesn't really belong in the Pac-12 anyway. They never did. And so, you know, if, if they're lost, then, it, you know, it, it is what it is. But I do think that it really fits with, with Arizona State to be able to play, you know, especially if they get San Diego State in to still have three California schools. Maybe someday you bring Fresno, you know, and you, you still address some of those markets. Um, I would love to just flood it with West coast stuff to make, you know, to, to say that there's a lot more options than just, you know, USC and UCLA do whatever you can to put the screws to them for leaving. But right now I don't see it being anything 
really better than what they get now, which is insane because live sports are the only thing really keeping um, a lot of these streamers and, and cable companies alive right now with the level of competition. They need live sports so badly. And the fact that the Pac-12 is still without a media deal goes to show you how bad of shape we're in. Right, right. Uh, yeah, because I agree with you. Like, I I want ASU in the Big 12, if only if it's the absolute last case, like, uh, bad metaphor here, but life raft off the Titanic uh, scenario. Yeah. Because, I, look, I, I just, I think there are some ASU fans like, oh, if we go to the Big 12, things will be fixed in our program. And I just don't buy that at all. Like, all the same issues we have are going to continue, um, in my opinion. And the, the other thing that's kind of, interesting to me is utah does not want to go to the big 12 like their fans are very act vocal and not like they want to stay in the pac 12 and then oregon and washington they want to go to the big 10 but it seems like there's no like some people think it might happen but it's, it's also like maybe it just maybe the big 10 doesn't want them and so as you know being you know coke, drinking the hopium as an asu fan and wanting the pac 12 to you know, survive for this next contract cycle. I see the three best football brands seemingly either with nowhere to go or not wanting to leave the Pac-12. And that's the hope, I guess. But, you know, who knows? Yeah. And I mean, and if you're, if you're in Salt Lake, I love Salt Lake. I really do. But if you're in Salt Lake, do you want to go to Lawrence, Kansas for a game? Or do you want to go to LA? Mm-hmm. Right. Do you yeah. want to go to Ames or do you want to go to Seattle? That's really, that's really what it comes down to for them. They came out of the mountain West and TCU went their way and, and Utah went their way. They're both having, you know, a lot of success. Um, and continued yeah. success from what they were doing in the, in the mountain West, which is one of the reasons why I'm a little bit afraid of San Diego state. Um, but you know, it, they have established this foothold and if the conference can stay together, then they're really positioned to be a powerhouse for a long time running. And, and you know, to go into the Big 12 um, with with their their play style wouldn't necessarily be the most unique thing. And their road trips would be, you know, it just wouldn't it would be a little bit harder to recruit to Salt Lake. I think, you know, I, they get players from California. They get really good players from California. Um, you know, what happens to them? when there yeah. are no more games in California. So, you know, I think that they're protecting the best case scenario for them. And when I, when I look at Arizona state, you know, your Arizona state's going to get guys from California, regardless of whether they have games there or not. True. Um, yeah. What might be good for Arizona state is just to be around some psychopath football fans, you know, to, to have Stillwater to have Lubbock, um, you know, to have these environments to experience, to help fans understand what college football should look like. And that's right. not to say that the ASU fans that show up and this, this is the worst thing is like it, there's always a few ASU fans that when you criticize the same people that they criticize, they take it as an affront to them. And, and I'm not talking about the people I'm not talking about mustache nation. I'm, you know, I'm not talking about cra the crafty devil, Taylor. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm not talking about the people that show up and sit there when it's 108 degrees, you know, as the sun's going down. I'm not talking about those people. Those people are incredible. But 
a select few are doing the majority of the heavy lifting. And that's not necessarily the case in some of these smaller big 12 environments. And yeah, you can say, well, what else do they have? Plenty. I don't know if you guys know this, but we have everyone, everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket at all times. Like it, it is, I, I cover high school football, you know, and, and everybody's like, you know, well, is football going to die? Uh, you know, concussions, and all that. And I'm like, it won't be because of concussions. It will be because football is no longer the most fun thing you could be doing at any given time. Right. Like, so everybody talks about these small towns, like they're just a bunch of yokels just waiting for kickoff. Like, no, they all have Netflix just like us. Like right. they all, they all have things that they could be doing with their time. They just really like football. They really, yeah. really like it. And you have to give them credit for that. And I don't think it would hurt Arizona state to be in uh, the big 12 and to be in some of the, you know, traveling out to some of these road games and seeing how they do things in Manhattan, Kansas. Right. Like, I, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. Uh, but if it was up to me, bring in SMU, bring in Fresno, bring in San Diego state, you know, uh, have more than 12 teams. That'd be cool with me. Um, and, and, and run it back with some of the rivalries that are already in place and then have everybody laugh, have a big collective laugh when every single year UCLA and USC are 119th and 120th in total run defense because they had to go out to Madison, Wisconsin and face, you know, uh, the next 2000 yard rusher. Right. Yeah. That's, it's, it's a lot. It's, I just, I just want this whole thing to just be done with, you know, whatever happens because as someone who wants the PAC 12 to live and like, I want ASU to be in the PAC 12. Like I have friends who went to Wazoo and like all this, like just, if we did go to the big 12, it would just be like, at least I don't have to like worry about the PAC 12 anymore. Like, you know, all the baggage that would, was with it would be gone yeah and that would be nice but yeah yeah mark i remember mark hitting me up about a year ago now to be on this podcast with him and i'm almost certain on our first episode we had the exact same conversation about the pac-12 tv rights Damn. so we've been talking 40, about this for 43 episodes now. later yeah, yeah exactly no it, progress it's, it's it's crazy that you know we, we're talking about it six months ago and i'm like okay this is probably our last conversation little did i know <laughs> so <laughs> yeah the, the most heartbreaking thing for me is the pac-12 will have done everything it could to make it work right they, they had these late kickoffs um and in the process a generation of people stopped being able to take their kids to football games Right. Because a lot of people came to college football through a family situation. Right. 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 I'll tell you, as somebody with four kids, ain't nobody bringing anybody to a game that kicks off at 830. That is right. asking for it. Right. And if, you, and if you do do that, good on you. I do not have that level of energy or patience. And my kids are like decent human beings. Like I but I, I, I could not pull that off, you know. Uh, and and I'll, I, you still have a majority of the people in the state of Arizona that are church going folk trying to get home at one in the morning, get up for like a 9 a.m. service, not happening. Right. right but right. your other your other option is to take your kids and sit them in 115 degree heat and not get CPS called. You know, <laughs> that's the other great option. But 
you know, I, I think that the, the emphasis on making the television thing work, even though they weren't on in anybody's homes, sacrificed a lot of the tradition. And I think that's why you see empty stadiums in Berkeley, um, in Palo Alto, uh, even, even the incredible crowds that you get out at Washington games starting to dwindle just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, ASU spent $400 million shrinking their stadium. And they still are dropping attendance like what five to seven percent every single year. Yeah, year over year, they spent four hundred million dollars. I said there was going to be like concerts and a bunch of other stuff there. They haven't done anything. Yeah, that concerts like no one's not when you Kanye Kanye West did one of his uh, his services there, and that's all that I know has happened there. Yeah, so. One, Late stage one, Kanye one. West, just who you want. <laughs> yeah, <you're so laughs> yeah, right. I, yeah. Well, was... I and I'll say this: all anybody wanted was to be able to have Wi-Fi, not piss in a trough, and get a beer. Sometimes there's no way that needed to cost four hundred million dollars. But no, everything has to make the corporate class feel as comfortable as possible. That might be where your money comes from. The money that 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 helps make sure that an administrator's kids, you know, go to college, but it's not it's not the future, right? Of your program, the future of your program is an unrivaled experience that is driven in part by the community, you know, and and yeah, they, they made the stadium nicer. But the fact of the matter is less people go. And then you could point, and, the, and so this is the return that I get from people at ASU. Well, stuff is down all over the conference. I'm like, yeah, that's because you're all doing the same dumb stuff. Everybody is sacrificing the environment of college football and the tradition of college football for the TV dollars. That, that's what everyone is doing at this point. And like, it's not going to pay off in the long run you're going to be 44 episodes deep into your podcast talking about is the conference dying? Yeah. That was a nice callback right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, other than that, things are going great for Ace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I'll say this, like, I'm glad they hired Dillingham because for one, at least he seems competent. Right. And this is what we've talked about with Bobby. Like Bobby is like, he's not the best coach in the world. Like he's, mm-hmm. but he's at least gets you to be like, a competent basketball program, you know, and, you know, with the arena and I've talked about that, like that's, but they face even more issues because college basketball just isn't as popular as college football. And yeah, it's, it, it's just a, it's, it's a very interesting time to be an ASU fan. That's for sure. Yeah. You just have to have people in place that have the energy to deal with rapid change. Um, the irony of the Herm Edwards era was we're going to institute the pro model. And then all of a sudden college football starts to like, look more professional. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the ASU coaching staff and administration was like, Oh, that we didn't mean that. We didn't mean like professional, professional, you know, the, the exact thing that they were supposedly built for is the one thing that they had no tolerance for. Right. So what you, you put people in place, that are going to be adaptable that have never lived or coached in an environment where things were the same for very long at all. You know, Kenny Dillingham is 32, 
Twitter came out when he was a child. A child. Right. A child. He has not lived as an adult without social media. He like there there is oh it's been eleven years since the NCAA video game came out. Right? The last version of the of NCAA. Right. Like, yeah, he hasn't coached in an era where that has even existed. Like the the amount of like crazy rapid change, constant change over the last decade has driven a lot of people out of football. And the people who were sort of inoculated to it, who who uh uh what's the what's the Batman line? You know, oh uh you were you I was born into it, something like that. I know what you're talking about. But Bane you said lived, it, right? You lived like, long you, enough to see yeah, it. Or, you know, you adopted the darkness I was yeah, born there it is, there right? It is. Right. So you you have some of these old school coaches right now that have adaptability. You know, there's Mike Gundy out there. There's there's Coach Kirby at Georgia. But then you have the people that just have only lived in this. And that's who Kenny Dillingham is. And that's what makes me excited about him. And, then, and Bobby Hurley has proven again and again and again that he can adapt on the fly. Every ASU basketball season is like that scene from Apollo 13 where they're trying to put the little tube over the box. And it's like, all right, you have these materials. And if you don't get the tube over the box, we all die. Right. And so that's the situation that Bobby Hurley's left with every single year. Every single year, he gets a tube over the box. They figure it out and they're relevant. Right. And, and that's the best kind of, I think, that you can hope for right now with Arizona State basketball. That's why I'm really, really happy that they, they brought him back. But, you know, yeah. uh, there is not anything that's going to happen where Kenny Dillingham gives a press conference and he's like, well, you know, these kids today, they're just different. Things are just different. You guys got to understand things, things are, are changing. You know, you, you don't understand. You don't understand. There's not going to be any of that from Kenny Dillingham, right? None. It's all going to be like, Hey, of course things change. That's all they do. What are they going to do? Stay the same. That's ridiculous. Right. right. So, you know, I, I think that, I don't know. We've seen him call an offense. We haven't seen him be a leader of men, uh, you know, not, not in the sense of like leading a staff. Right. Um, we haven't seen him have to handle all of the administrative duties that come with being, um, that come with being a coach. Uh, Herm never really had to, to worry about that. Cause it, at his introductory press conference, they said they named 10 people and they were like, that's who's going to help him through this process. It was always, you know, th there was always a guy for that. Yeah, you know, that was, that was uh, such a strange introductory press conference. Just yeah. Anyway, and then, but then so then you had you go back to Todd Graham and it's like there's a couple of people he trusted to give the reins to a little bit, but he wasn't even wanting to give his best friend Keith Patterson the reins to the defense. He wanted to right. be the one in charge of all of the things all of the time. What you could wear, what you could say, how you could walk what the defense called, what the offense called, how you talk to recruits. You know, he controlled pretty much everything but his own social media. And even, and, and even then he, that, you know, that was something he gave up over time because when Norvell was on the staff, he was, you know, pretty hardcore with the way that he, he recruited Mike Norvell really brought out like the, the best in him as a, um, as a, as a competitor and as a coach and as a recruiter, but you know, you, you lose all these staff members again. And then, Again, of Harry's, 
Um, you know that he hated that level of turnover and that affected his mindset over time. You know, um, Herm Edwards was promised that Phil Bennett and Billy Napier were going to be there right. for him yeah. and that he wasn't going to have to call the offense or the defense. Then all of a sudden he's having to make hires on both sides of the ball. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't think Kenny Dillingham, you know, I don't think he he's experienced enough to know what some of his weaknesses are, are going to be and what he needs to delegate and what might trip him up. But I do think he was on Graham's staff and I do think he had one eye on ASU throughout the entire Herm era. You know, he knows what doesn't work. That's going to be the <laughs> part. Yeah. Well, and, um, I think just having the baseline offensive, like you said, he can scheme up plays. Like that's that's so huge. Uh, this current version of college football, and I mean, for an ASU fan base that like you kind of make, yeah, you kind of need to make things easy for them. And I, you know, I'd rather. I think it's better for ASU if they have. If you're going to go seven and five, go seven and five with a fun offense instead of be Iowa football. You know, like that would. Yeah. But. That's just my thought on it. Yeah, and 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 you know the key to his success is the quarterback not getting hit. You right. know, if yeah. you, I think Bo Nix wasn't sacked until like week eleven or something like that last year. He wasn't yeah. touched, so they get they they get the quarterback out in space. They have the quarterback move the pocket. They create situations to not put so much pressure on the offensive line. And then you just give the players on your team the opportunity to do what they do. And, uh, and, 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 you know, as long as I don't expect all of that to translate because Oregon's offensive line was super, super talented last year. Uh, and Bo Nix could move a little bit. Bo Nix is a five-star quarterback. Yeah. Feel, the thing that we talk about of like, you know, people think that they could salvage the five-star. That's what Bo Nix was class of 2019. I want to say him and Spencer Rattler were the one and two. I think wow. rivals had Spencer one, Bo Nix two, and then maybe 24 seven had the opposite way or whatever. Uh, Bo Nix was somebody that, that, you know, and when somebody gets a five-star ranking, what the recruiting service is saying about them is not that they're going to be a good college player. It's that they're going to be a first round NFL pick. There's yeah. 32 five-stars given out 32 corresponds with the number of first round picks in the NFL draft. So what they're, what they're saying is if you have a five-star ranking, you are expected to be a first round pick has nothing to do with, with college whatsoever. A four-star is supposed to be an NFL draft pick and a power five level starter or all conference player. A three-star is a division one starter in their mind who could eventually maybe be an undrafted free agent and then there really are no two stars or, or one stars anymore that's right. not really a thing so you know bo nix was projected by 24 7 and by rivals to like be a first round pick so you know kenny dillingham gets a hold of him and he lives up to that potential and a big part of that is he didn't take any hits right. you know he, he was healthy all season long and um and they didn't have star receivers they just had good players all over the field um, and, and and I think that's what Arizona State has in place right now. Can Trenton Borgay from Marana do a little Bo Nix stuff like that? That's what we're looking at right now, you know, or or Drew Pine or whoever. I in my in my opinion, it 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 is and should and should always be, you know, uh, Trent. But it, if they go in another direction, 
you know, they they see the players a lot more than I do. Um, if they go in another direction, um, you know, it, whoever it is, is going to have to, um, they're just going to have to stay upright. And if they do that, then I think there's going to be a million opportunities for this offense to succeed. And you will bring more people back into the fold with a 42, 40 win than you will 13, seven. And that, that's just a fact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Colton, you have anything to add before we kind of wrap this up? Not really. I mean, this has been an excellent conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. And just thank you so much for coming on, Ralph. It was awesome. I had a ton of fun. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Colton. Thank you, Mark. Um, nothing I like doing more than, than than talking ASU football. This is the most excited I have ever been. This is the most anxious that I have ever been. Um, I want this to work really, really badly. And I'm trying as hard as I can to be objective about um, whether whether or not it's going to based on uh, what I've seen so far. But I will say that this year has an opportunity to be a lot of fun. And I don't know too many people that listen to ASU podcasts that are on the fence about, um, about, you know, investing in ASU sports, but I will say um, spread this around, send, send Colton and Mark's podcast to people that, you know, do your part to do what Kenny Dillingham says um, and activate the Valley. And I hope that this show uh, grows and grows and grows as the excitement uh, surrounding the, the the team does as well. And it was, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, it'd be awesome to be back someday. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Have you back, man. I mean, we'd love to, so we'll, we'll hit you up and we'll make it happen again soon. Yeah. Cool. Thank you guys so much. For sure. Well, uh, ev- yeah, everyone, thanks for listening um, on YouTube. Please like it or yeah, like, and subscribe. And on uh, whatever podcast platform, please rate and review. Uh, And as always, go Devils.